What's up, everybody? Welcome to another jam-packed edition of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Checking in live and on the road again. I'm going to welcome my esteemed colleague and co-host, Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck, where are you at this week? What's up, Rusty? Uh, the uh, the Two Bucks Tour is on the road again. I am in beautiful Jackson, Mississippi uh, for <laughs> some engineers meetings uh, at the statewide office. Um, don't let the life on the road fool you. This is not something that is fun. <laughs> so uh, I sat through an ethics meeting today, and if mm. anybody has sat through an ethics meeting before, you know that it is just nail-biting, just oh, riveting. Absolutely. How many Power Rangers conventions are there? Because I feel like every week you're at a different Power Ranger convention. Well, it's not conventions. So last week I was at training for a, ah. a piece of software that we use uh, to help me become more knowledgeable mm-hmm. on how we use it. This is this week. It's a uh, what they do this uh, engineers meeting twice a year, and so ah. and then every year we have one in Chattanooga for. Uh, all of the people in the region, and then we do this statewide twice a year. Uh, everything else is just training that my boss thinks I need. Apparently, so. <laughs> because you are on record saying that during your meetings and trainings, you are watching muted Instagrams and Twitters. And I did get some concern back about, is Tippa County safe or is Drew safe from electrocution? Because he's listening to Instagram, watching Instagram instead of paying attention. Listen, it's not all the time. It is sometimes you have to pick between falling asleep or distracting yourself enough to uh, be able to to catch most of the seminar. You know, and yeah. and when you sit in the same room, look at a computer for five hours, yeah. you need slight distractions to keep you from fully leaving the space entirely. I call it being productively distracted because if I'm yeah. just sitting there like staring at somebody speaking, I'm not going to be paying attention. But if I'm slightly distracted, I feel like I can pick up a little bit more. Well, you know, in college, you know, everybody's got their own different way of studying. And I'm not one that can just go and sit in a library and study mm-hmm. for engineering finals. I uh, I had to go somewhere where there was a little bit of noise, but not enough noise because I am more distracted by zero noise sure. than I am – by little noise, but then a lot of noise, no work at all. So I mean, yeah. it was it was hard to find an environment for me to focus. <laughs> that sounds as like you it. Could, as you could probably, you've known me long enough, you know that that's a constant struggle. Absolutely, so. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I used to doodle when I was in class, and then yeah. I had when I was at home studying, I, I would study. I'd play Call of Duty while I was studying, and like studying between breaks or. My favorite, and this is random, and I I know that, but like when I'd be studying, I would listen to traditional Irish music because it's upbeat, okay. it's upbeat, it's instrumental, and there's no words. So like, so with no words, you just don't like. I'm not trying to sing along. I don't know any of them, but it's like very upbeat, fiddle driven, and so I was like, oh, you know, this is just kind of energizing. You know, one time, and we will get to the podcast. Uh, yeah. One time when we were on the road, we played a show in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, for those of you that don't know this, Uncle Buck is a former rock star, but anyway. I believe it's come up before. Um, We played a show on St. Patrick's Day weekend, and the headliner was a Celtic rock band. And we were like, oh, this is going to be dumb. No, it was (laughs) awesome. I bet. I mean, you're talking about upbeat rock music. Now, they did have some words and some bagpipes, and Mm -hmm. it was incredible. 
Yeah, I, I imagine, man. If y'all have never checked it out, look up Irish music. It hits perfectly right when you need it. So, yeah. um, all right, Uncle Buck. Uh, first up, man, I am struggling today. Right. I am sore. I am tired, and it has been quite the weekend. Well, tell everybody what you did this weekend instead of watching college baseball. Which was a good move on my part. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little a solid bit. Solid move. I should have <laughs> went with you. Yeah, uh, the state of Mississippi is in shambles when it comes to college baseball. But, yeah, I went with some buddies. I had a good friend of mine, Scott Hobson, invite me on a hiking trip this weekend. And we left the beach, drove to right outside of Bryson City, North Carolina, and we hiked 30 miles of the Appalachian Trail from the Nantahala Outdoor Center to the Fontana Dam. So any enthusiast of the Appalachian Trail will know that's a beautiful section of some up and down. We started at about 1,500 feet above sea level. We climbed to 4,800 and then back down to 1,700. And I almost sold my soul during one <laughs> called Jacob's Ladder where we climbed 600 feet in a half mile. Drew, I'm telling you, man, like, I'd walk for 30 minutes and I'd look down at my watch and I'd been less than a tenth of a mile. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. this is how it ends. I was convinced that I was going to, like, that was it. It was over. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Did I ever tell you about the time I went hiking, overnight hiking? How did I so, know, not know about this? Yeah, so basically it goes back to uh, when our good buddy Chris was living in Kentucky. He got big into outdoors and he had a friend who had been hiking a good bit. And they've got the Cumberland Gap up there that a bunch of people come and um, and hike at. And so it was me and Chris and his buddy Adam and Chris's father-in-law and brother-in-law, uh, brother-in-law who was a Marine, and uh, me who, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a Marine. <laughs> I'm nowhere close. <laughs> and so um, long story short, I'm just not cut out for this, you know? So uh, – <laughs> The first day, I was like, okay, this is great. It was one night. We, were, we went down, stayed the night, and went back to the car the next day. And so the first night, they were like, the first day, they said, all right, we're going to descend and find water, basically, and find a campsite, and then we'll work our way to the car the next day. So first day was fine. I mean, beautiful, beautiful. Don't anybody tell you that hiking isn't beautiful. It, it, nothing else, it's beautiful. Can confirm. And so, yeah. And so we would stop, and we'd find waterfalls, and enjoy it take it in and then we went to the campsite and the campsite was great we put our little pop-up tents up and we got the fire going we cooked us a meal uh and just sang and ate our hearts out for a whole night <laughs> and um the next morning i wake up and there's snow on the ground and we went about this time of the year and it's in the mountains and so you can one could surmise that there might be a little snow on the ground. What, what nobody told me until after the fact, because everybody else did this, they just didn't tell me. Put your shoes in the tent. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we had, uh, not we, I had cold feet to start the day. And only to make matters worse, uh, for everybody that knows me, I'm a short fella. Um, and we... Go out, we pack our campsite up. It's a little chilly. Everybody just kind of warming up, getting their coffee in this, and we pack up. And I'm like, all right, tour guide, where are we going? And he just looked at me and grinned, and he pointed up the mountain that we slept at the base of. And he said, <laughs> that's where we're starting. And so uh, I'm not kidding you, Rusty, when I say 
this was like a 75 degree angle. Here's 90. We are going 75 degrees <laughs> up the mountain. And everybody was like, okay, this is going to be hard. They don't know how hard it is. <laughs> As a five foot five dude, I'm wearing tennis <laughs> shoes. It is leaves on the ground with snow on the ground. And there was nothing more humiliating in my whole life than starting that day off trying to get up that hill and making it five foot and sliding back down and then <laughs> making it 10 foot and sliding back down. And at, the, at one point, everybody was just standing up at the top looking at me, waiting on me. And I was like, y'all want to help? Help. If not, just keep going and I'll get up, find you when I find you. And Rusty, what happened after that was we made a barrel of monkeys. You know, the little game where you stick the monkeys <laughs> yeah. in the barrel and you grab one at a time, see how long you can make it. Yep. Yeah, it was a barrel of monkeys getting me up the hill, just lowest point of my life, having to be helped up that hill, and it was the first thing we did that day. I was, well, we made it to the end, and there was just nothing left in the tank. I was just collapsed. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. I, I can I wish that I would have been a part of that trip. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't give to watch you try to get up that mountain with those little feet yeah. and little legs. <laughs> yeah, because you wouldn't help. At least I had people that would have helped me. That helped me. I would have helped. You would have got a video. After I got a video, I would have helped. Because <laughs> our, yeah. our 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 followers on Instagram would have needed to see that as well. So we'd have got a video, and then then I would have helped. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, you're talking about lowest of the low. That feeling, knowing that I may be stuck. At the bottom of this mountain, mm-hmm. it's just that's as bad as it gets. There's always a tale like that with hiking. You know, we had a great time this weekend. Plenty of campfires, plenty of brown water, and uh, mean. I tell you this, hikers are interesting people. We met a lot of different different folks. Um, they're the most caring and like sharing type people. They're really nice. People would walk into camp, and be like, "Hey, I'm missing this," and somebody would give them something. Right. They also smoke a lot of weed. I've never yeah. smelled so much weed in my life. And like Saturday morning, I got up and I was making my coffee and getting ready under this little porch of the shelter we were staying at. And this guy walks up and speaks to me. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, hey, how are you? I'm like, good. So I pull up my coffee, throws this little sack on there, and out comes a bowl and some marijuana. And I was like, sir, we are not the same. <laughs> we are not the same. <laughs> yeah. Th- these people enjoy hiking way more than I ever did. I mean, I could not even – as sober-minded as you could, as one could be, I couldn't make it up that hill. <laughs> I cannot imagine if you put one more variable into this other than just me as a person. I could not do it the best of my ability. Don't don't water me down at all. <laughs> I need all my faculties to climb yeah, this, this mountain. I, I need all of everything I am sober-minded and and a winch. Listen, guys, if you've never hiked, I would highly recommend it, though. I had a great time, saw some beautiful scenery with some great dudes, Um, just great time outside. Got a little rain Friday night, but it was really, really great. Uh, Other one quick story. We'll move on to the podcast about a guy. He got lost. The the signs, Appalachian Trail to the right. Bartram Trail to the left. We've been on the Appalachian Trail for two days at this point. So which way would you go? <laughs> right? Continuing along the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> yeah. No says I, says my buddy. Uh, <laughs> he hangs the left and starts walking on this forest road, ends up on the highway, and is like, I'm lost. I'll be honest with you, Rusty. When, at my lowest point, I would have been like, 
maybe the Bartram Trail is sooner. <laughs> and if I, it would have spit me out on a highway, I would have thought it was a major win. Like, yeah, well, I've made it. <laughs> the story gets better because my buddy Timmy at this point looks straight up like Larry the Cable Guy because he's got off those got on those zip off pants. He's got on a camo visor, yeah. and that morning he had a long sleeve Ducks Unlimited shirt that I cut the sleeves out of for him because he's sweating to death. Seventy degrees up there. So you imagine that standing on the side of the highway with a thumb out hitchhiking, trying to catch a ride. And this forerunner, this Toyota forerunner with like, I think it was like three 20 something year olds pull up. And he's like, Hey, my friends left me. I need to ride to the Fontana dam. And they were like, Oh, cool. We're going there. Hop in. So me and my buddy Scott and then uh, my buddy David, we show up in the end and Timmy is laying in the parking lot next to our car, freshly showered, eating a snack, <laughs> just living his best life. And we are like, we just hiked a mile and a half up and down these hills to get there, and we're like, dude, what are you doing? And he tells us the story. <laughs> and our buddies, Marty and Luke, had waited back for him, and they were just about to start running up the trail because it had been an hour and a half since anybody had seen him. And all of a sudden, this Toyota 4Runner slams on their brakes on the highway right beside him because it turns out he got dumped out about 100 yards from where he was supposed to <laughs> yeah. on the highway. And he hops, out, he hops out, and he's like, hey – I found a ride. And they were like, where have you been? He's like, I got lost. And they said, look, we've got another mile and a half to go. And he goes, I'm going to take my ride. I'll see y'all at the end. <laughs> yeah. So his nickname is forevermore Forerunner. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, I don't blame the man at all. So well, anyway, get out. I, yeah. yeah. Enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy uh, beautiful creation out there. It's gorgeous. But uh, speaking of climbing a mountain, uh, Uncle Buck, we got some football news. Um the Ravens okay. have a mountain ahead of them. They've got to figure out how they're going to traverse these next few weeks. Because I don't know if you saw or not, but on and it's the timing is beautiful, right? It seems like every time the Ravens or or uh, John Harbaugh put out a statement, Lamar Jackson hops on Twitter, and he made it known today that he had requested a trade on March the second to get yeah. out of. Baltimore. And honestly, Drew, at this point, I don't know that I blame him. I don't know that there's a bad guy in this situation, and I'll get your thoughts on it in just a second, but it feels like like this relationship's kind of run its course, right? Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's anyone really to blame here because what you've got is you've got a quarterback that can demand a ton of money yep, and a franchise that is just built on uh, building a team – evenly you know and trying to get as many players you can get doing it as economically as possible and so it's just it's not a good marriage for contract talks for a quarterback is what it seems like yeah and so uh it's like you said it's just not a good marriage and so i think that lamar jackson has decided that he's just going to seek the dollar and like we've said on this podcast before no one can blame him for that get Uh, your bag yeah, an NFL career is only as good as your knees and your arms. And yep. if you got a chance to get a bag, then get a bag. Because, sure, you can go chase championships and you can take a pay cut. And, you know, honestly, what you're, the money you're making right now is enough money to get you through two lifetimes. But if you're talking about generational wealth for you and your family and your grandkids, and I mean, who is to say that, Rusty, if you were offered $5 million to do the same job somewhere else, who am I to say that you should just stay where you're at and and negotiate a raise there? Like, are they yeah. going to pay you $5 million? No. Okay, well, then go somewhere else. No so skin here, off our back, you know? 
I actually looked this up today to kind of to kind of go along with your point. The average lifespan of an NFL career is 3.3 years, and you have to play five years in order to get your pension. So you're playing for health care. You're playing for trying to get paid. And then, Drew, the average American in their lifetime earns $1.7 million. So these oh. football players have 3.3 years to earn a lifetime of wages right? based on what their skill level is. Because, like, I'm not berating anybody. I'm not belittling anybody. But, like, most of them, when they go to college, I believe it was uh, Cardell Jones with the famous tweet that said, yeah, I didn't go to college to play school, right? So a lot of these uh, dudes are there trying to get to the league, whether it's the NBA, NFL, whatever. So you got a minimal window to get your bag based on what your skill level is. So I'm all for it, man. Get your money while you can. I Like when Freddie Freeman went to L.A., like I understand you, you go out there, you get paid. Lamar's trying to get paid. These guys are trying to get their money, particularly in a, in a game that's dangerous like football, where he's already exceeded the norm. He's played longer than 3.3 years. But that's your window to make a lifetime of money. Yeah, but the people that are only playing 3.3 years or, or that are setting that number so low, you know, they're not making as much money as he's made so far, yeah. you know, as a, uh, I mean, he was the last pick in the first round, I think. So he's, right. he's made plenty of money and he's going to make plenty of money, even if he re-signed with Baltimore, but go get that $40 million a year contract that you feel like you're owed. And if I was a, if I was a Ravens fan, I'd probably feel much differently, yeah, but sure. that's kind of a, I don't know. That's kind of a team though, that prides themselves on culture and, and uh, the Ravens way, they, they've kind of like the Steelers are kind of the same way. It's like they've mm. never really overpaid for anybody. They won, so, a, they won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer as their quarterback, so they're not going to massively pay the, for a quarterback. Yeah, also the greatest defense since the 85 Bears. Right. So, right. Uh, and you know, Stone Cold that, Killer at middle linebacker. Uh, no, that is not hyperbolic <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's our talk on the big thing. You know what would be interesting? Uh, and then we'll get on to Grizzlies, and we'll get on to. I got one more football the, topic, but go ahead. Okay, well then we'll get on to another football topic then. Um, what would be interesting is what if the Jets went and signed Lamar Jackson, and forced, you know, uh, like a signing, you know, kind of forced Green Bay's, you yeah. know, push the envelope a little bit. That'd be interesting because you know I root for chaos, mm-hmm. and so tell Green Bay like, all right, fine. Uh, do you want Lamar Jackson? Because if not, then you've got Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it would be such a, a funny situation that they signed all the people that Aaron Rodgers wanted, which ironically were all the same receivers in Green Bay when he said he didn't have any right. receivers, and then they go with somebody else. That'd be incredible. I'm, yeah. It's well known I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan, but anyway. Um, Dark Horse, you know, and I know it's impossible, and I know we, we it could make it happen, but I would love to see Lamar in a Tennessee Titans jersey. You imagine the danger of Lamar at quarterback and Derrick Henry at running back next year? It'd be insane. I mean, it would be it would be like Pat White, that West Virginia team. Yeah. Steve Slayton. Pat Absolutely. Pat White and Steve Slayton. Um, yeah, they would have to cut Tannehill, and there's like $19 million of dead money against the cap. Sure. And that, that just seems like too much money to eat. It's not going to right happen right now. So, but anyway, I think you'd have to you'd have to trim the fat on the roster even more than they've already done this offseason. They've done a lot, but yeah, you're right. There'd have to be a lot more. And then who's he going to throw to? Like, yeah. Anyway, all right. So I saw today the SEC that SEC podcast released their over under on win totals next year for all the SEC teams in the West. Okay. 
Just quick hot take before we just, move into the Grizz. You we got a lot to take pick, on. You just want me to pick over under? I'm gonna just I want to get your take on the Ole Miss and the Mississippi State over under on the wins. Just a quick gut reaction. Have you seen this? Um, no, I haven't. But uh, let me just go ahead. And I'm gonna pull up the schedule real quick. So um, I'll kind of give off some of them. The only ones that really matter to us uh, are State and Ole Miss, but Alabama is picked at over-under at 11.5. Arkansas and Auburn are both at 7. And I guess we can kind of run through these and get our thoughts on each team's highlighting State and Ole Miss. But uh, Auburn and Arkansas both at 7. LSU at 9.5. A&M at 8. Ole Miss too at 7. Huh? Too high on A&M. Way too high. I can't wait to watch that blow up between uh, Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino, but – um, and then Ole Miss is at seven and a half. State is six and a half. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm I'm looking up Ole Miss's uh, schedule right now. So your non-conference games are Mercer at Tulane, Georgia Tech at home, and ULM at home. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, now I know ULM. I mean Tulane was really good last year. Um, they won the Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl? Cotton Bowl, I believe, yeah. Um, so you're looking at four wins. That's how you have to look at this as you're in the SEC school. You never, in the offseason, chalk up a loss to mm-hmm. Tulane. Um, and so then you've got Alabama at home, Auburn, I'm sorry, Alabama on the road, Auburn on the road, at Georgia and at Mississippi State with your home games being uh, LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Texas A&M. Um, so the next step, I always look at non-conference games. One, mm-hmm. so right. I'm going to assume four and zero. Ole Miss is an eight and four team. They started the season hot. They ended the season very poorly, but they return a lot. They've got. They're going to have their pick between three decent quarterbacks. Whoever's the best out of those is going. I'm not going to worry about quarterback. So. Um, I'm going to assume that they're average at best. Um, so look at the East opponents. You've got Vanderbilt and Georgia. That's one and one. Mm-hmm. Five and one. Okay. Uh, and Alabama, five and two. LSU at home. I'll call that. I'll call that five and three. Uh, although that game gets squirrely and it's early. Uh, Argus on the road, calling it six and three. Auburn on the road. Called a toss-up. A&M, who knows, called a toss-up. So my point is, Mississippi State, that's always a toss-up. My point is, you look, I'm at five and three with, or six and three with three toss-ups. The number's at seven. Those three toss-ups, one, two are on the road, one's at home. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm going to say Texas A&M's a win because, like I told you last year, I'm never going to assume Ole Miss is going to lose to A&M. I right. quit respecting them a long time ago. Uh, so that gets me to seven. So do with a win versus Auburn or Mississippi State, that gets me up the over. And I'm going to say I'm going to say over. I think Lane in his last two years went ten and two and eight and four. That's over on both. Yeah. They're, I don't think this team goes backwards. Right. Um, and so I'm going to say eight and four is what is the minimum of which I'll be happy this year. 
And we all know that Lane Kiffin is playing for a better job, so he's going to have those kids coached up and ready to go. Uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> you're going to keep saying that and until he leaves. And then five years later, you're going to be like, yeah, I told you. And I'm be like, well, you've been saying it for five years, <laughs> you know. Except for every offseason, his name is always coming up in new jobs. But anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. How many times has he left? <laughs> he almost went to Auburn. <laughs> he almost doesn't count. All right, we'll see. I asked you at the end of football season if you were ready to have this conversation every offseason, and we're having, we've had it every offseason so far. Hey, as long as he keeps winning, that's fine. But I told you last offseason, I'm done. You, next time, he's going to have to go or keep his name out of the rumors. That's what yeah. I said. We And, and we so, both know the, what's going to have to happen there. He's going to have to get the walk papers. And you know what? If he wins nine or ten games again this year and bigger schools than Auburn are flirting, then that's sure. mar, you know, par for the course, I guess. I'll say I agree. I think Ole Miss is – I think seven and a half is a, is a good total. I think eight wins. Eight, nine wins is probably very likely with that schedule. Um, East opponent having one of his Vanderbilt, a very favorable off-seat or uh, – non-conference schedule at Tulane is kind of tricky. I know they were a very senior heavy team, but we'll see what kind of team they are. But I mean, I think, I think eight wins is very realistic. Well, they were what? 10 and two this year, but they're mm-hmm. also still miss, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we beat them last year. So. <laughs> yep. Uh, Mississippi State, uh, six and a half wins. It's always up in the air when you have a new coach, Zach Arnett at his first year at the helm after the tragic passing of Mike Leach. System is relatively the same on defense. Still going to run a very similar 3-3-5. We brought in the OC from Appalachian State, which has been uh, in his one year as the OC, was a top 20 offensive team nationally. Our schedule is not bad. No, I'm just looking at it. Non-conference is Southeast Louisiana at home, Arizona at home, and then Western Michigan at home and Southern Miss at home. So I think that's four wins. We went to Arizona last year and beat them uh, pretty handily. We were definitely the better team. And that's a tough that's a tough play, right? You traveled two time zones away, played at some altitude. It's not a traditional road game in a sense. So that's a big win. So I fairly, feel fairly confident we could beat them at home. Then we have LSU and Alabama at home. Probably two losses that we should have beat LSU last year. That game's been kind of squirrely the last few years where it's a lot closer than it should be. Could that be a win? Maybe. But for the sake of this podcast, we're at four and two with the loss at LSU and Alabama. Play at South Carolina on September 23rd, which is an hour and a half Ooh. from me. So you bet you butts I'm going to be there. Um, and I'm That's calling a that a win. That's a win, man. That's a That's win. A South- South Carolina is trending in the right direction. They've done some good things in the transfer portal, but there's been nothing to show me that's sustainable success yet. So I'm calling that a win. That's our one road, like big road victory. If y'all win that game, that is an upset. Yeah, I mean, don't, that's fine. Don't go into that game thinking that y'all are going to be favored. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm calling a win right now. Five and two. They're a, it's one of those, they're the sexy, trendy pick, but like our defense is going to be really good next year. We got a lot of guys coming back. Spencer Rattler is good, but like sometimes he's very, very unpredictable. So there's always that opportunity that he may shut down. So at that point, we're five and two. So we're already a win away. Um, at a, Alabama at home is a loss. Like I said, beat Western Michigan. At Arkansas, that's a weird rivalry that we usually tend to lose at Arkansas. So I'm going to go ahead and say five and three there. Um, at Auburn, last year they came to Starkville and jumped up 21 points, and we came back and beat them. Hugh Freeze's first year, I'm not as high on Auburn. Seven wins, I feel like that's a that's a lot for that team with a big turnover. I think he'll do a good job in turning that 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 around. 
but I say that's our six win right there. We get Kentucky at home, and um, the, in that rivalry, the road, the home team always wins. We lose at Kroger Field in Lexington. They lose in Starville. That gives us our seventh win. I think A&M's a toss-up. Um, we beat them last year. State has had A&M's number since they moved to the SEC. Uh, I think we could beat them, beat Southern Miss, beat Ole Miss. That's a, like realistically our ceiling is like an eight. Nine win would be a huge, huge victory, but I think somewhere in that seven, eight win range is where we're going to live. So I'm going to take the over on Mississippi State as well to win seven games next year because there's 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 three constants in life, though. Death, taxes, and Mississippi State getting picked last in the SEC West. Happens every year. Well, and this year they should. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It, like, I guess an argument can be made for Arkansas, but they're returning K.J. Jefferson. Right. You know, they're returning a the four-year starter. Uh, an argument – I can't really make an argument for Auburn or A&M or LSU or Alabama or Ole Miss to be last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, somebody's got to be – Sure. What's always fascinating to me is it seems like the trend, and maybe it's just the last few hires in college football, year one has always been – or recently seems to have been a big success for yep. new coaches. Uh, you yep. look at what the unproven coach, um, um, Pittman, Sam Pittman in Arkansas, took them out of the gutter in year one, had everybody yep. believing. Yep. Kiffin went eight and four or seven, seven and five in year one. Um, no, I'm sorry, seven and six. With a, they went six and six and won the ball game. Um, Eli Drinkwitz had a decent season. Uh, Sonny Dykes took TCU to the national championship game. Yeah, and so what year one is always about, it's about finding a way for kids to buy in. Mm -hmm. You will never get more buy-in than what you can get coming in at year one. I don't know why that is, but it seems like you can, if you can get that buy-in in year one, you don't have a chance yet for everybody to see your flaws. Right. And so that's why uh, Brian Harson and Sam Pittman the last few couple of years, those guys, after they were great as everybody bought in, bought into the hype, and then you see their flaws in roster building and stuff like that and how they job, you know, Auburn's, you know, clan of, a mess. You know, boosters that want in. How well you job with them. That's how you end up taking your job later. So yeah. look for R and Ed. I think this first year is important because uh, he does not really come in in just the uh, most easiest of spots. I guess no. taking over for a coach that right. passed away, exactly. but also had his own flaws as well. That and you were on his staff. You know, uh, Leach had plenty of flaws as a coach. Uh, that we're going to have to be addressed maybe sure. after this season. Sure. And it's the whole Matt Luke thing. Uh, Hugh Freeze tanked it. They hired Matt Luke, and Matt Luke was going was not a clean break because Matt Luke was on that Freeze staff that everybody messed up. It never felt like you started over and hit sure. reset. And so I, I think that's, that's why 
I think it was about Arnett going out of the fold to get a new offense, a new offensive he system. To, yeah. He yeah. had to. We're going back to the more traditional pro style with a tight end, which we got two really good ones out of the transfer portal. I think a big sign of the buy-in is the seniors that are coming back. We did fairly well in the transfer portal outside of Dylan Johnson and Rara Thomas. You know, um, Tulu went in the transfer portal but came back. I think that was to right. get some more NIL money is what I'd heard. But there were guys that – that stay they bought in he's got a phenomenal recruiting class coming in particularly for his first one signing that big five-star tackle out of laurel uh there's been several good gets um across the state got that kid out of of uh i'm blanking on his name but from itawamba high school that big defensive back that was uh old miss was after as well got a really good first recruiting class and so i think year one will be a success that's why i'm, I'm bullish on the over but you're right can he create sustained success We'll see. Jury's out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm always leery of somebody that wants to come to the SEC and want to play pro-style ball. Sure. We'll That's, see. you got to have the trenches. And yeah. Mississippi State and Ole Miss, you don't really have – you may have big fellas, but you ain't got – big strong fellas you know all i'm saying is this this tackle we got from laurel is a protege in the yeah, same vein as charles you know? cross and so he may not be great this yeah. year but there's potential it's coming um but he's from the same high school same system as charles cross who's now an all pro tackle for the seattle seahawks so we'll see there's the opportunity in the future but yeah we'll see um yeah. but how about them back to back Southwest Division champs, your Memphis. Raise the banner. Grammys. Let's go. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, division championships did not mean anything to me when San Antonio was winning the division championship every single year, uh, especially after the uh, NBA decided not to reward the, the division champion with the top four seed. Right. So it really means nothing. But it's nice to know that at least out of those five people, five teams that are in your division, you're the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, you know, with all the math kind of falling off the falling off the face of the earth the last month, um, yeah. there was really no re- nobody to really compete for it. You know, right. San Antonio and Houston are way they're trying to be on the bottom. The Pelicans can't stay healthy. You know, they Zion Williamson is a that is a case right. study and yeah, um, not to mortgage your future on a yeah. injured superstar. Yeah, and um. Dallas has just got, you know, chaos. Yeah. And so the Grizzlies did in the the day that we won it, it was the most fun because uh correct me if I'm wrong, we won it no, I'm sorry. Let's great. We won the division. Let's talk about Friday night's game. Yeah. Because my boy, Luke Kennard, the one that the one trade that we made and everybody was wanting a superstar. And I was like, he is a shooter. We need a shooter. Mm-hmm. My boy, Luke Kennard went 10 for 11 from three for 30 points yeah. and just eviscerated him. We made 25 threes that night. Drew, there were stretches where we didn't make 25 threes in two weeks. <laughs> and we hit 25 it, the other night. It, that's the crazy part is that the team shooting, it's crazy. You get you get good shooters, and it increases your ability as a team to shoot. A rising one, tide lifts all boats. Right. The one transaction that we made 
fix the one glaring issue that we had, and it was not having people around Ja that could shoot. Yeah. And so Luke Kennard comes in, and they they finally, like we talked, I wanted him to get more minutes. Mm-hmm. He got minutes. He's finally getting those John Conchar minutes. Did he not miss against the Rockets? The Grizzlies put up 151 points, one shot of the franchise record, had 25 threes, which was the franchise record, and Luke Kennard with a smooth 10 for 10, 10 for 11 from the field, 10 for 11 from three, mm-hmm. 30 points. Got 30 points shooting zero two pointers and zero free throws. <laughs> throws. Is as impressive as it gets. His stat line is zeros. He had three assists, one steal, but he had 10 threes. And you're just not even. Not even two months ago, before this trade happened, we were bemoaning the fact that like Desmond Bain was our only shooter, and so they would just keep a guy on him, and we had no options. And so what's shadowed by that is, you know, he made ten, uh, Desmond made five, which is definitely a great sign. Santi right. was two for two from behind the arc, and so like again, Luke being there is going to be a problem. The Grizz had eighty-three points at halftime in that game, and just absolutely dominated the Rockets from start to finish. Luke you know, Kennard looked like, the part, and it was, I mean, such a great win. Like you said, the rising tide raises all boats, and this is an outlier game. Nobody, he's not going, no, nor should anybody expect him to make 10 threes a game. No. But if, a good example of the rising tide raising all boats, the Grizzlies shot 60% from three in that Rockets <laughs> game. That's yeah. 25 of 42. Without Con, with Conchar, Kennard, they shot... 15 for 31. No, yeah, 15 for 31. So, Man. Still 50%. Still not uh, bad. Uh, And Desmond Bain, like you said, five for seven. We've we have not been playing better offensive basketball than what we're playing right now. Absolutely. Uh, defensively and especially rebounding last night against the Hawks uh, was a struggle. Mm-hmm. The Hawks out rebounded us by. Uh, I'm sorry, wrong button. Um, they they had 20. Let's see, second chance points. I'm sorry, this is a bad podcast. All right, so uh, rebounds. Where the heck are the rebounds on here? Uh, all oh right. my gosh, they had. Uh, this is why I should pull rebounds. up the stats and you yeah. just talk. <laughs> yeah, 48 rebounds. Uh, to the Grizzlies, 39 rebounds. And uh, 14 of those were offensive rebounds. They're just not getting rebounds yet. And so we need Steven Adams back. Yep. However, should we talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. while Steven Adams has been out? My goodness, man. Guy has been on an absolute tear. The fact that, like, <clears throat> and what I hate about it, Drew, is I think Jaron is being punished by the NBA Twitter, media as a whole, because of all of our off-the-court issues, there is no reason he shouldn't be the odds-on favorite for the Defensive Player of the Year, but it's still Brooke Lopez. Brooke has played 16 more games than him, but if you look at the comparison of games played and stats, Jared is kicking his tail. The only thing Brooke is a little bit better at is he doesn't foul as much, therefore he has more minutes because he understands how to play without fouling. But Jaron has played some really good basketball, stepping up, being the offensive force that we need him to be. 
especially in the absence of Ja. Like Jaron took over some of those games without Ja the last couple of weeks. And if it wasn't for Tripp's offensive performances, we're not winning a lot of these games. On Sunday, he had 15. He's getting more aggressive from the from outside. Jaron's played some really good basketball. Unless we're talking about rebounding, as you've already talked about. Yeah, um, and that's that's where he's always struggled. And Jaron's fouling issues are way overblown based on what he was as a younger player. Right. He is not in foul trouble. Last night he didn't even he got his third foul in the third quarter. Like he's just not fouling at the rate that everybody says he is. And he missed he has played sixteen fewer games than Brooke Lopez. Yep. But if you look at per game basis, if you want to make this a a attendance award, if you get perfect attendance, you get defensive player of the year, well then apply that same criteria across the board. Mm-hmm. On every single award, uh, Josh should not make an all. You know, should not make an all NBA team. Neither should Luca. Uh, neither should Kawhi or LeBron. Yep. Kyrie. I mean, sure. Applied all the way down the board. There is not a per game stat, defensive stat that jo- that Jaron Jackson Jr. does not dominate over Brook Lopez. Right. Brook Lopez is the at best, second-best defender on his team. The fact that Giannis – I couldn't even argue with you if you want to say Giannis was the defensive player of the year. Yeah. I wouldn't. But I – you're going to tell me it's Brooke Lopez? Who, no. He – you can – he may – it's the whole Rudy Gobert thing. You yeah. know, he – he's he makes people pass the ball out from underneath the rim. Like right. He, Look at the shots that he discourages that people don't even take. Jaron does that same thing, and he leads in blocks and block percentage. And yeah. So, uh, I don't want to hear that. I've never yeah. one time seen Brook Lopez hold his own against anybody less than six foot out on the perimeter. I mean, less than seven foot outside the perimeter. Right. He cannot stay in front of anybody if he's asked to move his feet. And that's what I think you nailed it with that last part, because back in the 90s, the defensive player of the year was saved for the big lug centers. Recently, it's been those guys that can defend across the court. You know, Rudy, you know, Rudy Gobert, big lug, but he can defend a little. Marcus Saul could defend really well. Kawhi Leonard, like Marcus Smart, these guys defended all across the court. And Jaron is just as good at, at defending in the paint. Like you said, the the I forget the field point, like the 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 field goal percentage when Jaron is in the game is like massively no. different. And he's just as comfortable out on the wing defending some of the smaller fours and bigger threes in a very competent way. And so the fact that we're even having this conversation is ludicrous. Jaron Jackson Jr. should be your NBA Defensive Player of the Year. And all he's going to do is continue to go out there and get five, six, seven, eight blocks at a game, alter shots. And, like, the stats are getting there. But if anybody with any kind of sense watches the film, you can see when people come in the lane, they get real nervous looking for 13 to figure out where he's at. Because they know if they come in there, they're going to end up on a highlight reel. Just like in Sunday's game when he do- he blocked that big dunk attempt uh, against the Hawks and then posted about it on his story on Instagram. I don't know if you saw that or not, but uh, he yeah. shared it to his own personal Instagram of him uh, blocking that dunk. But Jaron yeah, Jackson so Jr. should be your defensive player of the year. Jaron Jackson Jr. against Atlanta had 15 points. Uh, it actually snapped a streak of 25 point per game right. games in a row. I think it's six. 
Uh, he had 15.7 rebounds, three steals, and five blocks. Uh, a steal, if you add steals and blocks together, that makes stocks, which is tracked by the NBA. It's his seventh game with eight plus stocks, which is yep. steals plus blocks. Nobody else in the NBA has more than two. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And the big thing, you know what happened in those five games where he scored 20 plus? We won. Every single one of them. <laughs> the only reason why it, the Grizzlies should be called contenders yeah. because they are first in the NBA in defense, in defense mm-hmm. since Jaron Jackson Jr. has been back. Yep. It's that simple. Yep. But you can't say that the best player on the best defensive squad is not the best defensive player, especially I mean, when the numbers tell you the same thing. The only thing I can figure is it's a punishment because of all the other things that have happened with the Grizz. That's the uh, only thing that makes sense. That. I, bu- I believe it's some advanced algorithmic metric that they use that that doesn't require watching basketball. I mean, I've watched Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. There's nothing more impressive than watching him play defense. I mean, it's incredible. And, you know, speaking of being contenders, you know, we've got job invigorated job back, got his head screwed on straight. Uh, Santi Aldama is coming into his own. Obviously, Luke Kennard is finding his stroke again. He still struggles a little bit covering off, you know, off coming off of screens on the defensive side. There's some some errors there, but obviously he can shoot. That's going to be not poking holes better. In We're not poking holes in it. The Grizzlies are getting better at the right time. The only thing that worries me is our schedule is pretty favorable down the stretch. We're not going to get pushed, not going to get tested by some really good teams. But it's also hard to argue with coming into the playoffs with a string of wins under your belt getting healthy and fingers crossed thoughts and prayers, getting Steven Adams back for the playoffs. All right. Well, let's talk playoffs. Then there's nine games left currently right now. The Grizzlies are in the second seed. They are three games back of Denver, mm-hmm. Denver in their last 10 is five and five. The Grizzlies are nine and one uh, behind the Grizzlies is Sacramento. They have fallen two games behind the Grizzlies past them. Phoenix is 11 games back, so they're not going to factor in the Grizzlies seeding at all. I believe that the two seed is the best spot for the Grizzlies to be. Mm. I think that there's a case to be made that Denver may be losing on purpose to drop back to the two seed. Mm. And that is to keep from that second round matchup being against the four seed Phoenix Suns. Mm. Uh, with a healthy Kevin Durant. And you can say what you want. Chris Paul's broke down. He's never won in the, anything important in the playoffs. Those are all right. They've got Kevin Durant. And if you're looking down the list of teams here, tell me who you would want to play less than Phoenix. Yeah, you're Clippers, absolutely right. Would you rather play the Clippers than Phoenix? Yes. Yeah. I would. They've got Paul George injured now. Golden yep. State. We talked about that last week. Give me Golden State, man. I want those dudes. Minnesota, New Orleans, the Lakers, the Thunder. I just the only the only one out of that list that would that I just don't love, and it's not like necessarily superstar power. Whatever reason, when we play Minnesota, they have a really good they do a really good job of getting us in the mud and beating us at our own game. Remember last year in the playoffs, they, they are gave a us different a team this run. year, man. I mean, you're They've right. They got Rudy right. Gobert now. They can't. They clog the paint too much. I'm not. I am less scared of Minnesota today than I was last year. Hmm. I give me Minnesota, actually. I'll go that far. 
right. Uh, the only thing that will hurt me about playing Minnesota is that Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson are Timberwolves. That's fair. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think the first-round matchup, as it stands right now, the Grizzlies would play the winner of Minnesota-New Orleans. Mm-hmm. This will change. We will we'll talk about it again next week. Uh, you will get the winner of Minnesota-New Orleans as the two-seed, mm-hmm. and then the second-round matchup would be the uh, winner of the 3-5, the 3-6 matchup. 3-6. Right? Which would Which be right Golden now, State or Sacramento. Sacramento, Golden State. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, ideally, if everything goes chalk, you play Denver yeah. or Phoenix. And at that point, you know, it's not about, I'm looking at this, and I'm not scared of anybody. Right. I'm not saying we're going to beat anybody we play. Right. But there are teams that I want to avoid, if possible. Sure. And and that is Denver, um, the Lakers healthy. I know it's it's just in my head. I'm sorry. Uh, and Phoenix. I don't want to play Kevin Durant if I don't have to. Well, it's just that simple. Like, those, give me someone else. And those same podcasts for for those teams should be saying the same thing about the Memphis Grizzlies who have the longest active winning streak in the NBA. Like we talked about, they're getting hot at the right time. I agree. A matchup with a gold state is what I want saying that two seed is more favorable. Cause then you have to play the winner of golden or of uh, Denver and, and Phoenix. If it's Phoenix, you get home court. If it's Denver, you got to go to Denver, but it's later in the playoffs. And so it won't uh, be until the conference finals. If right. And we both know Denver doesn't really show up in the playoffs for whatever reason. They're one of those teams that usually gets bounced. Outside they're the supposed bubble. To. Yeah. Outside of the bubble where they make yeah. the conference finals. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll put this take on you too. I believe that I would rather play anybody in the Western conference than either any of the top four in the East. Mm. The top four in the East being Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Cleveland. Those yeah. are better than anybody in the West. I, I agree. Not oh, the Grizzlies, because obviously the Grizzlies are the best team in the world. We're fine in the West. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Cleveland. Uh, that that hurts. Yeah. Uh, that would hurt. But you only got to play one of them when you make it. So. Yeah. I, I'm going to keep going for a second. I saw a tweet today. I want to pull up. I want to talk about it. So uh, while, while we're doing that, Drew, I sent you a text today. I saw a take from the uh, a Grizz writer, Isaac Simpson. He said, right. would you I be willing it. to trade Desmond Bain for in a scenario where it nets you Jalen Brown from the Boston Celtics? Because he's not happy. There's obviously some grumblings there. Uh, what uh, What's your take on that? Uh, well, I love Desmond Bain, and I always, I find myself, because we're such a, we're a small market team, and we're so protective of our own, that anytime a question like this is proposed to me, I always shudder and just think, no, just give me my guys. However, Jalen Brown's a 27-point-per-game scorer. He is a big wing that we don't have. He is a great defender. He's a multi-time all-star. People are downgrading how good Jalen Brown is. Right. I don't it's, – it's so hard for me to say yes because I love Bain. I don't know what the package has to look like to make me feel good. I, I think we have to, like, rob, you know, give me Brown and picks before I'd ever feel good about it. But would I entertain it? Yes. 
I think if you can get Jalen Brown and then you can lock him down, because Bain's going to be eligible for a big extension, and if you can sign and trade Bain and get Jalen Brown and, and it's a team-friendly deal, whereas Bain's going to, you know, he may want the max maybe one day. You would, if if Brown can allow you to have some more flexibility with signing some other players, there's a scenario. It wouldn't be a flat no, but dang, it would be hard. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a take on it? Or I agree. Um, Drew, you and I both love the Grizzlies. We love our own. Grizzly fans are 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 very 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 loyal, and I. It would be hard to watch him go, but again, Jalen Brown is kind of overshadowed by how good Jason Tatum is and how good other guys are in the Eastern Conference. He comes to the West. He is an impact player for the Grizz. He can score. Guy averages, I think, 27 a game. He can defend. He is a he's a guy that you have to account for, which will create space for Jaron and Ja and Kennard, other guys to score when he's on the floor. Because he is a he's a, a all pro NBA player, and I think and he's always he was, healthy too. He's always healthy. That was my next point. I think he brings in that factor where like Tatum gets hurt some. You got other guy KD obviously gets hurt, but Jalen Brown is a grinder who stays healthy and is an impact player immediately. Like the Grizzlies are immediately a a Western Conference Final contender. Not that we're not without him, but immediately one of the better teams in the Western Conference. I think I think you absolutely have to seriously listen. We would need some picks and some other things. Um, you know, no, like, but you're not going to get that. It, it'll to get Jalen Brown. All right. So currently he is for the season. He's averaging twenty-seven point seven rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, and he's played sixty-three games, which mm-hmm. you know maybe eight or ten shy of a full season. Um, he is uh, he's down on his three point shooting. He's only shooting about thirty five percent in the last two years. But before then, he was a forty percent three point shooter, thirty eight percent. His second year in the league, he was thirty nine and a half percent from three. Don't forget how good he is, and he is a prototypical. Now, Bain is incredible, but Bain is undersized as a wing. He is he is locked into a a two guard. He is not as versatile defensively because of his size. Now, he's got heart. He's got all the heart you could ever ask for. Mm. I love him. This pains me to even just work through the exercise in my head. But Jalen Brown is a switchable defender, a solid, above, a well above average defender at 27 points a game and shooting threes at a high clip given not as well as Desmond, but he offers you so much. You you can lock him down next to Yeah. You, how about this? Uh you put him next to uh in that three that that three role that Dylan's in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh that's pretty pretty salty. That's pretty salty. I, I don't know that it'll happen, but it was just a scenario that I thought was very interesting. And again, um, you have to entertain it. But I found the tweet I was talking about. <clears throat> you know, I made the the reference to fine in the West a few minutes ago. Since this was as of yesterday, since the fine in the West comment, 
and there was this video edit that was posted, Shannon Sharp, all these guys talking about Jobby and fine in the West, and they've got a bunch of cool edited videos of these NBA superstars. But since that comment, the Grizzlies are against the Western Conference are 13 and six. The Lakers are 12 and seven, Suns nine and nine, Mavericks six and 13. We've done pretty well in the West. <laughs> and you know, the West has not been good either. Right. You know, that's what I'm saying. Right. It's, uh, it kind of, it takes both to tango, you know, mm-hmm. the Grizzlies are nine and one. Uh, the rest of the West, Denver in their last 10 is five and five, Sack is seven and three, Phoenix four and six, Clippers six and four, Golden State five and five. So the only team that's won six of their last 10 games is the Clippers and the Grizzlies. The Clippers won six, the Grizzlies won nine. Yeah. I mean, they are cannibalizing each other right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. And except for the Grizzlies. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're playing their best offensive basketball of the year. Yeah. To quote Chris Vernon, the beat goes on, and I hope it continues. We're heading in the right yep. direction. We'll talk playoffs in the next couple of weeks, but Grizz are in a good spot right now. You know, given all the offseason or off-court turmoil, the injuries, I didn't think we'd be having this conversation tonight, but here we are firmly in the mix, clinched our division, and have a really good shot at the two seed. Right. But speaking of, speaking of basketball, we're going to stay in that vein. A little quick update on our Two Bucks Sports Pod tournament bracket. Oh, yeah. There was some turmoil this weekend. You know, Drew, you were talking about you don't want that silly basketball. You want, like, traditional powerhouses. And we got one in the Final Four in UConn. Uh, but other than that, we got UConn and Miami. We've got San Diego State Aztecs uh, against the Florida Atlantic Owls. What a run by FAU. They're killing it, man. They've only lost three games this year. They beat some really good basketball teams to get here. Yeah. I mean, what in the world? If you're ever going to go to the Final Four, by the way, this might be your best chance because this is probably going to be the cheapest tickets they ever are because yeah. like, these 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 alumni, other than UConn, they're not big basketball schools. And, I mean, there's like FAU and San Diego State aren't huge teams. So, like, if you're ever going to go, this might be your year. Yeah, I mean, I told you that March Madness is great for two weeks and then you want to see good basketball. Um, and when <laughs> – what I was implying there is good basketball was played by the the bigger teams, you know, with right. the best players. That couldn't be further from the truth because there's yeah. no one more fun to watch than that Florida Atlantic team than UConn who just muscles you. Mm-hmm. Kansas State, I had a blast watching Kansas State. They just barely missed out yeah. with a loss to uh, Florida Atlantic. And what about that ending to the San Diego State Creighton game? What like? Wasn't that a ticky foul for them to get that free throw yeah. to win the game? But still, I mean, they got them in the mud. That's the thing. San Diego State will be fun against FAU because they defend so well. But thoughts on yeah. that? It's a FAU plays a fun brand of basketball. Same as Creighton. Yeah. I mean, they play a fun – these mid-majors, there's a reason why that big-name college basketball coaches always go down a level to get ideas from coaches in these mid-major programs. Mm -hmm. This is basketball IQ personified in these smaller schools. They play smarter than you. They do not play more physical, not more physical. They do not play above the rim. They do not. It's all polished. It's all experience. It's moving and it's moving without the basketball. And it's a science rather than, you know, Calipari just throws a bunch of five stars together and trains them for a year before they hit the draft. 
You right. Know? Uh, that's. I think it's good for basketball mm-hmm. to to see this happening. I've told you before, the transfer portal does not only allow the best teams to get better and kind of cherry pick, it also results in these mid-major teams getting better by getting the the seventh best player on a major team. If that kid goes to a lower level, he has instantly increased the ceiling of these lower level teams. Mm-hmm. It is smoothed out. It, I mean, there's a reason why that in the last five years, you know, or this year, that you've got big upsets happening against teams that you would have never dreamt. Now, I don't think Fairleigh Dickinson had a lot of Duke transfers, but uh, you see everything. You see it in college football when Marshall beat Notre Dame. That Marshall running back was a former, uh, was it Auburn commit? Foxball running back commit? The transfer portal has smoothed out a lot of it. And you've got these great coaches in mid-major programs who will end up being great coaches at major programs, mm-hmm. no doubt. Uh, and that's when you find out if you can recruit and coach. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I I was wrong. I thought that you would, you know, you want to see the big teams play each other. But I'm just as excited to see these matchups in the Final Four as I've been in the, in the years. I couldn't agree more, man. Like you said, UConn is fun to watch. They're a very physical. They're a very big team. Miami runs the floor, get plays in space really well. They're a very fast, athletic team. Again, San Diego State's very, very defensive-minded, but they, you know, FAU is, again, fun brand of basketball. I think it's going to be really fun. And shout-out to – we have a couple – so my brother Clark had UConn in the Final Four, which I did too, by the way. I've made a roaring comeback to be seventh in our pool, but I'm I'm out of the money here. Uh, yeah. Then Hannah BB24. I don't know who that is. I don't either, but or Han H A N B B two four. If you're uh, listening to this podcast, shout out. You had UConn in the championship game, losing to Arizona. Uh, opportunity. If UConn goes to the championship game, and then Han BB24 wins our bracket pool. Yep. And then uh, 130, Brandon, did we confirm? Is that an easy or is that lump? Do we know? I have failed to confirm that. That's on me. I need to, uh, I need to message. But most importantly, had Miami in the final four, which yeah. is huge. He's sitting in first place with 640 points. Miami as the, as the final four, uh, I mean, who else picked Miami, right? Nobody else is really going to pick them. Uh, had Kansas, Miami, Alabama, and Purdue in his final four, but Miami made it, man. Shout out. That's a that's a phenomenal call. So that's our top three there. Uh, and if, it's the only ones that have a chance. That have a chance. If my, yep. If UConn Actually, makes the national yeah. championship game, um, then hand, so really it's a two-dog race between. Well, if UConn wins, then uh, and BB24 will win because right. her and Clark both have UConn making it to right. the final. So Clark can't jump her. Right. So it's hand BB44. Yep. Or or 130 Brandon 1. So uh, one of those two will be the winner of the inaugural Two Buck Sports Pod Tournament Challenge and the winner of that very coveted Two Buck Sports Pod t-shirt. Yeah, we'll start designing that this week. 
<laughs> yeah. But this is a college baseball podcast. Um, but do we really want to talk about college baseball? Because the state of college baseball in the state of Mississippi is less than desirable right now. Tough weekend for both of our programs. As both of our programs just did not show up. The last two national champions are 0 and what 0 and 12 in their well, first 0 and 12 in their first six conference games. Both of us got run out. I saw a funny tweet today, and it said, and I and I was there when we were making that magical run in 2021, which I'm wearing the t-shirt 2021 national champs, uh, the pitching ninja trying to bring some good vibes to the Bulldogs as we take on Sanford tomorrow night. But it said, when I said, give me just one championship and I'm good, I'll be happy. I still meant I wanted us to be good. And that's yeah. intrigue. Like, like I, I said the same thing, like, God, please, if like, I know you don't care about baseball, but if you give us this national championship, I'll be good. Right. I still wanted I to mean, be competitive after that. What did our two programs do? Who did we sell our souls to the devil? What happened to get our national championships? Uh, no, I don't think, uh, I think, Mississippi State fans are from the devil, so you don't have to really sell your soul. <laughs> wow. Um, Ole Miss has a rough go of it right now. They're hitting the ball okay. Uh, their pitching is really struggling. I don't. I'm not going to keep going on about this because it's the same thing over and over. Um, they can't pitch. They they keep walking, folks. Um, uh, I've got a stat here. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it because it was a Mississippi State Twitter account that tweeted it out. The ERAs for all the SEC teams. I had that this. pulled up. Yeah, I had that so pulled Ole up. So Ole Miss has played to start the year Vanderbilt and Florida. They are sitting at number one and number five in ERAs, team ERAs on the season. Uh, right now, Ole Miss is 13th with a team ERA of nine and a half. Yep. And Mississippi State is at 14th with an ERA of 16.1. We're giving up over uh, two touchdowns a game. Uh, but again, kind of like y'all, our two, the two teams we played were Vanderbilt and Kentucky, who were one and three in the ERA uh, category. Right. And both teams absolutely rake. Vanderbilt hit the ball all over the yard against Ole Miss. Kentucky had another great weekend this weekend. They've only got a couple losses on the year. But a 16.11 ERA is terrible. Drew, a, a quick stat. Mississippi State has only been 0-6 two times to start SEC play, the last time being 1952 and the other time being 1939. And both times we were 0-6 to start SEC play, we ended up 0-7. So that's uh, not so good week. for the home team this weekend as our schedule does not get any easier. Um, you know, just embarrassing. Like, there's a standard, and I'm going to go on a rant here for just a second – there's a standard of just like at Ole Miss, there's a standard for Mississippi State baseball, and it's not being held up right now. We're not putting on a consistent effort. We got punked last weekend by Kentucky when that guy flipped his bat at our pitching at our pitcher after he hit that home run. Like just not there's just no pride in the program. You know, you wear that M over S and you've got an opportunity to be something, to be part of a very historic program, and we're not doing that. We're getting embarrassed, we're getting run rule, we're getting we're giving up three touchdowns to Vanderbilt. On our home field, we lost 26 to three, 26 to freaking three in a baseball game on Friday night and didn't look like we gave a crap. And that's the hardest part is that we just don't look like we care. Coaching staff, the players have got to pick it up because it doesn't get any easier with South Carolina coming to town this weekend, who's one of the best teams in the country. There's a really good chance you'll give up 20 plus again, unless there's some hard conversations, and some hard looking in the mirror. The coaches are blaming themselves. The players are taking the blame. Somewhere in the middle is probably the truth, but something has to change. 
we're scoring runs. We hit the ball fairly well against Vanderbilt, uh, especially on Sunday. We, you know, it's sad to say that we, you know, uh, it wasn't a terrible loss and we lost uh, 11 to seven, but we actually scored seven runs. You know, we looked somewhat competitive for a while, but somebody's got to walk out on that mound and be like, listen, this is my game. I'm that dude because we don't have that guy right now. We don't have a Will Bednar walking through. We don't have a Brandon Woodruff or a Ethan Small that's going to walk out there and be like, you know what? I'm going to get us a win. We don't have that guy that's a weekend starter. You know, could be Bradley Lofton a couple years, but he's a freshman. Probably going to be Gerangelo. He's a freshman. Our best chance is Nate Dome, but we're using him in like a relief role. I know that's a long-winded rant. I'm just frustrated because it just there's no pride. There's no it just doesn't look like anybody cares. Yeah, uh, I mean that's not a hard leap to make when you get beat like that. Yeah. Um, it's embarrassing. And Ole Miss had it last weekend against Vanderbilt. Maybe Vanderbilt is just the best team in baseball. I mean, maybe. But <laughs> the best team in baseball shouldn't beat you that bad. If, yeah. if you're Mississippi State and you are who you say you are, you know. Same yeah. with Ole Miss last weekend. They we beat the brakes off of us. Ole Miss, on the other hand, just got his heart ripped out on uh they played a doubleheader. Played two on Saturday and one on Sunday. First game of the doubleheader, Ole Miss was up by uh three runs going into the eighth inning and lost and just got your heart ripped out with a basis clearing double with two outs in the eighth inning when uh Mike didn't pull it in Mike does what Mike does, and he's notorious for leaving his pitchers in too long, trying to get that last out, and the ball was hit to the wall to clear the bases and put them up in the game, and they never relinquished that lead. And it was just the biggest gut punch because you just need a win in SEC play. The first one, when you've lost three in a row, the first one just becomes that much more important every time. And every time that you keep stacking up losses without a win, that win – Obviously, I mean, maybe this is just stupid, but that makes that next win much yep. more important because you can't start chipping away until you start chipping away. And baseball is a momentum sport. You have yeah. to find momentum somewhere. Uh, trust me, I know about how momentum works, you know. <laughs> the, anyway, and so when you just had your heart ripped out of your chest like uh, Lloyd Christmas did on Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> when you – have your heart ripped out of your chest like that. And then you have to play a, a game an hour later. Yeah. It just, and they put up five. The team has fought, but he can't. Grayson Sonjay, the freshman, I told you that if I thought he was, if he was good, then I thought the team would be good. He has not been good. He's walking everybody. If they put the ball in play, yeah. he's good, but he can't keep from walking folks. He lasted like two and a third. In game two, they beat us. Uh, and then in game three, you know, you hung around in there long enough to keep me watching, uh, but you never could quite get the time we hit. And here on Miss sits at, at 0-6 in the SEC, not 10 months removed from a national championship. And you're making your first, you're making a road trip to College Station this weekend to take on Texas A&M, uh, a team that hasn't been as good as they thought, you know, insert Texas A&M joke here, uh, but you're still a road game in Bluebell Park, which is just, it is a cult gathering anytime you go to College Station. Yeah. Um, and so, trust me, if you don't throw strikes in Bluebell Park, they're going to ball five your tail to death. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think it's hard to throw a strike just on a regular OO count, 
wait till you they're counting your next ball before you throw it. Oh, it yeah. It will be unbearable. Yeah. Yep. And so, with Ole Miss, it seems like they can hit, and they've got young arms. So, as long as you can chip away and win as many as you lose until you can maybe get the ball rolling downhill, I have a little faith because there's pieces there that you can look at like, he's good, he's just not playing well. We've seen it. You've got your ace coming back. What's going to stink is if you are out of this before Hunter Elliott can even get back. Yeah. That's what I'm scared of. If you can tread water, because, I mean, like I said, if you can get to 14 and 16, 15 and 15 in the SEC, you're going to be in the tournament. The problem with getting to 15 and 15 in the SEC is you've got to go 15 and nine the rest of the way. Right. This team ain't 15 and nine. Good. No. No. You. That's the hole we've dug ourselves in here. Yeah. You. You've got to get on your winning ways, and you got to get on your horse quick. Yeah. Because it doesn't get any easier. Both of our schedules don't line up very well for us. And we talked about, you know, you speaking of 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 your guy at the beginning of the season. I said if this team's going to be good, Slate Alford is having a good year because he was great in the wooden bat, Kate Cod League. Drew, he has seven errors so far. We have yeah. nine errors at third base alone between him and David Marchand. And I've seen Slate Alford. He's tried third base. He's no uh, Cam- Cameron Jones. But at this point, maybe let David Marchand, Marchand as a freshman get in there and get his lumps because he's clearly not the answer. Nine errors at third base. It's embarrassing baseball. We can't run anybody out there. We're, you know, we're hitting the ball okay, but we just, I just throw strikes, man. So many times we get in there, we walk the first batter, get a runner on base, and and God knows if you get on base against Mississippi State, you're going to steal second and possibly third because we couldn't throw out my grandmother running to second base. Yeah, and that's the frustrating part when it comes to because it bleeds in. If you don't right throw strikes and put the ball in play, it bleeds over, and then that's when you end up with defensive players that just lollygag and yeah. Peyton Chatney who is a four-year starter at second base who never makes errors can't quit right now it's yeah. it's the yips it's it's there's no pace to it because it's yeah. constant walks it's constant hit batters and when you've walked three people in a row it happened uh in the most crucial time against uh Florida in game two on Saturday you're in it. It's a two or three run game with the bases loaded because they've been walked around or hit or, you know, how many times this weekend did we load the bases with one or fewer hits? It's happened every weekend. Yeah. And then a double play ball is hit as one out, not two. A double play ball, routine double play ball to where Peyton's got to move to his right, hit throw inside up the middle to start the double play and he just misses it into the outfield and then you're down four. Yeah. And then it's just like, you're done based on one error because our second baseman and our leader and our four year starter has sat here and just gotten frustrated. Yeah. And the same thing happened. Frustration errors. Same thing happened Mississippi state last Saturday against Kentucky state like Ole Miss has that one inning every game. And it started a couple weeks ago with Colton Ledbetter, our leader in center fielder. It was a great player at Stanford transferring in, lets the ball get past him in the outfield, and they clear the bases. You know, Vanderbilt, we're up. We jump out like 3 nothing, and then they score seven in an inning. And, like, we're giving up these big, crooked number innings and then never recovering. And it starts with walks, 
and hit batters. I don't think I've ever seen a baseball team hit as many batters as we have this year, and it's it's blows my mind uh, yeah. that we just cannot throw freaking strikes. Like, give me somebody. I don't care if he's a freshman, a senior, what. Give me somebody up there that's got some guts, that's going to throw freaking strikes, and let's figure it out. Because until you throw strikes, nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, that's it. And honestly, it's the only thing that can save a season. Because at best, you're hoping to get to 500 for both of us. Yeah. Um, and if you don't throw strikes, well, I feel like a broken record. If you don't throw strikes, there. you're not going to give yourself the opportunity to win. Not you at will, all. You will sink yourself quick by walking, folks. And you may not win if you don't walk, folks, but you sure can lose. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are both putting on a clinic uh, in how to lose games when you walk and hit batters. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I tell you this, based on recent trends, I feel bad for whoever the national champion is this year. It's not going to come from the state yeah. of Mississippi unless those mustard buzzers do, but the last two national champs have not fared very well. <laughs> well, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi this week, and uh, I'm headed home tomorrow. But if this trip were to have lasted an extra day, Ole Miss is playing Southern Miss tomorrow night in Pearl mm. at Trustmark Park in uh, here in Jackson. So um, I'm not going to miss it. I'm going. I'm. I'm not going to go. I'm going home. No oh boy. I have seen a game. I have seen Ole Miss play Southern Miss in this stadium before, and it was a win. So yeah. if you can get a win, even if it's against Southern Miss, which I'm not that even against Southern Miss. I mean, they're good. You know. Yeah. So it's it would not be a bad win. So just go win. Psych yourself up. This is a team that you knocked out of the college the Super Regionals last year. Mm-hmm. Try to get that mojo back, getting that familiar feeling of yeah. beating Southern Miss, despite the fact. So we beat Southern Miss to go to the College World Series last year. The the guy that pitched game one in the Super Regionals, Hurston Waldrop, uh, pitched against us last weekend as the day two starter for Florida. And uh, we had as much yeah. luck against him as we had against anybody. Yeah. Uh, and uh, still lost. So Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, just one last quick little reminder. This is from a, a few days ago. Robbie Falk tweeted out this was uh, on Friday after the Friday game. Starting pitching for Mississippi State versus the SEC so far this year. In 11.2 innings pitch, they've given up 11 hits, 24 runs, 20 of them earned, 14 walks, 6 hit batters, and 17 strikeouts. This is an so absolute two disaster. And a half, giving up two and a half runs per hit. Is a yeah. heck of a stat. I mean, that's that incredible. Incredible. That is a disaster. Oh my goodness! Yeah. An absolute disaster. So you know, um, listen, guys. If we get a win tomorrow night against Sanford, we ain't back. We beat a bad team. Probably gonna get embarrassed this weekend by South Carolina. Just please don't give up two touchdowns to South Carolina and then find a way next weekend against Alabama. That's your only like looking ahead. With Alabama, Ole Miss, and Auburn on the schedule, like Alabama and Auburn, the only ones are like, hey, you could get some traction. Because right now, dating back to last season, we're 0 17 in our last 17 games against the SEC. And that's abysmal. That's on coaching, that's on preparation, that's on players. That's that's embarrassing. Embarrassing. You know, the, you gave the stat about the last time that Mississippi State was 0 6, they went on to be 0 7. The last time. Ole Miss was 0 and 6. Um, the uh, 
First time starting 0-6 since 1996. Uh, that 1996 also lost a game to LSU that didn't count in the standings and was 1-17 one in, one, one in at one point in, in the league. Jeez. That was Jeez. pretty Mike Bianco. So Yeah. That's why um, I'm going to leave that here. I can promise yeah. you Ole Miss will not be 1-17 in the SEC this year. Mississippi State might. <laughs> yeah, okay. We might get a win next week against Alabama. Until somebody walks down on that mound and shows some gumption that they got some guts and they're willing to throw some strikes. I I my my you know, I always ask you like where are you at one to ten? Like I'm gonna be close to a one, maybe a two, until we find somebody that's gonna grab that baseball and go throw strikes on a Friday night, Saturday night in SEC ball. Yeah, pretty low. Not that low. Yeah. I'd say about a four. Yeah, I'm probably two and a half. Yeah. Just because I'm a, I think, uh, and that's me being the eternal optimist that I am. <laughs> right. I still think there's a scenario in which Ole Miss can get their eight. If you get your ace back, things change, but uh, uh, you still got a month till that happens. Yeah. So. I mean, we got, you know, we got Pico Khan who could come back. We got an opportunity for him to, he's a, a very good pitcher. He's got an opportunity. He's been hurt. You know, if he comes back, he might be the one. Um, still no timetable on his return, but like, I just hadn't seen enough from anybody else that show me yeah. anything, you know. Yeah. That's all I've got for baseball. Don't make me talk about it anymore. I'm done. I'm done, man. Terrible, terrible <laughs> baseball being played by our teams right now. Um, what else you got? Anything else? Oh, uh, no, I'm not got anything else for tonight. I'm uh, I'm nice and sad now. Um, the last thing I'll say, I kind of end on a positive. Did you see the Grizzlies team picture? No. I'll post it on our Instagram. There's this great, great picture. You know, they always take the picture at midcourt with everybody. Oh, the team picture. Yeah, and I love they're in their city edition, the black with the uh-huh. like blue silver. So if you haven't seen it, look it up. I'll post it to our, our on our page. But everybody's nice and neat and smiling and looks good, you know. And then you zoom in on the right side. It's Dylan, isn't it? Zoom in a little closer, and then you find (laughs) Dylan Brooks staring into your soul on the far right-hand side, giving that same look he gave Clay against in the Warriors game a couple weeks ago, (laughs) and especially contrasted by the big grin of X beside him, John Concha, or uh, God, I did it too, Luke Kennard and David Roddy grinning on the front, and then there's Dylan looking like a menace in the back row. (laughs) I'm going to go find it. It's an incredible, it's an incredible picture. Incredible picture. Rusty, I enjoyed another podcast this week with you. Yeah, man. Always fun. Remember, find us on Instagram and Twitter at the number two bucks sports pod. Facebook, two bucks sports podcast. Uh, Please like, share, comment. Let us know what you think about the show. We're open to feedback. Give us some comments. Like Uncle Buck has said in the past, you can give us all the hateful comments you want. Just give us a five-star review. That's all we ask. So, uh, all right. Uh, don't forget to check us out wherever you get your podcasts or our YouTube listeners. Howdy. Thanks for watching. Uh, Uncle Buck, that's all I got for this week, man. Hey, I have enjoyed it. I'm glad you made it back for your hike uh, with both legs and arms working correctly. And we will catch up again next week. All right, guys. See you all next week. Bye. Thank you.